Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, June 19th. I'm Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, as COVID cases remain plateaued, health officials worry about putting stress on the system. Then, what the Supreme Court decision means for a Mississippi DACA recipient. Plus, today is Juneteenth. We look at how Mississippi's black community is celebrating. Again, this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's healthcare system is under growing stress by the coronavirus, causing concern in the healthcare community. A new cluster of COVID-19 cases has been identified in Oxford, and the state health officer, Dr. Thomas Dobbs, says the community could be in the middle of a significant outbreak. He says they have linked several of these cases to fraternity rush parties. Dobbs also says there are other worrisome indicators coming out of the department's surveillance data. Very concerned that we're seeing an increase in COVID-like illness and pneumonia in our surveillance data. Um, we do have a, um, a syndromic surveillance system that basically looks at a lot of different clinics and hospitals around the state. And for the first time um, since we really started looking at this from the coronavirus outbreak, we're seeing a significant upturn. And that's usually a pretty worrisome indicator. So please, um, it, it, coronavirus is out there. Um, my head is sore from banging it on the wall. Wear a mask, social distance. Don't do mass gatherings um, and certainly follow the rules. Um, uh, you don't want me to see me with a bruise up here next time. Other issues as far as the health system, we continue to see significant stress on the healthcare system. Um, we still not only see ongoing pressure on the health system, but I'm increasingly getting notified from doctors across the state that they're not able to get patients to care within their hospital and they're being stressed to transfer them, especially to places that are not their normal transfer locations. This is something we're following very closely, and it's something that may need additional um, efforts in the near future. Again, everything's related, ongoing case burden. Now we're seeing this younger generation of cases coming through the system, and inevitably it's going to work its way up the system. And then the the parents, because we're already seeing parents who've got it from their kids around this Oxford situation, and then it's going to go to the grandparents, and we're going to have more severe illness and hospitalizations and deaths. It's just the, the way this thing works. So, so please, everyone, follow the rules and, and be careful. The, the things that we can do to prevent transmission are so very easy. The Department of Health recommends social distancing and the use of masks, especially when social distancing isn't possible. 
During a press briefing yesterday, Governor Tate Reeves' decision not to wear a mask to the funeral of a Simpson County deputy sheriff drew scrutiny. In an exchange with members of the media, Reeves defended his attendance. Uh, I did have a mask. It was in my pocket. I should have put it on. Um, The fact of the matter is, if y'all want to shame me for the way in which I handled it, go for it. That's part of your job. Uh, But I will not apologize for attending this funeral um, for this slain law enforcement officer. Yes, sir. What what about? You have had it on in other public events as well. I have worn my mask. I actually went to the Capitol earlier today. I wore a mask in the Capitol. Uh, I am concerned about what's going on in that particular um, setting. Um, But uh, the fact is um, some of us are in jobs in which we have to take additional risk. Um, It's not perfect. It's not an ideal scenario, but it is what it is. Yes, sir. Governor, you, uh, Dr. Dobbs also talked about the fact that if you're at a large gathering like a funeral, if you can't social distance, it should be 20 or less. There were much more than 20 people at that funeral yesterday. There were more than 20 people at the funeral yesterday. In fact, I know there were thousands and thousands of Mississippians that were uh, paying their respects to this law enforcement officer who lost his life in the line of duty. I will not apologize uh, for me attending it. I am um, always, as long as I'm governor of this state, I will be attending funerals of those who lose their life because they simply got up and put on the uniform that day. Dr. Thomas Dobbs says if Mississippians can do the simple things, the state would have a better chance of beating COVID. He applauded the African-American community's embrace of mask wearing and social distancing and reminded residents anyone is susceptible to the virus. I, I kid you not, if we could just do those things... A lot of the predictions are that coronavirus would just wither away. But we just don't have the patience, unfortunately, to do the easiest things. It's, it's absolutely maddening. Um, so it's, it's, it's for everybody. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the kids in, um, in Oxford were almost all white kids. And their families who were affected are white kids in the nursing home. Um, it killed more white folks than black folks. I mean, it's not a race thing. It's an everybody thing, and we all got to do what we got to do to protect ourselves and be selfless enough to to do this stuff to protect others. Coming up, what the U.S. Supreme Court decision means for a Mississippi DACA recipient. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hey, this is Malcolm White. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Every week, we talk with visual artists, musicians, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcast app. Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Advocates for immigrants' rights in Mississippi are responding to the Supreme Court's decision to block President Trump's attempts to end the DACA program. Jesus Roman, a DACA recipient, was born in Mexico but has been in the U.S. since he was one years old. He was at his job in Flowood when he heard the news about the Supreme Court's decision to keep the program. It gave me a big sigh of uh, relief, actually. Um, you know, uh, you know, in the back of the mind, you always, you always have that fear, especially with, uh, what Trump wanted to do in the program. But, uh, luckily we got the, we got the votes to make it, 
to not accept it and extend it for a little bit. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can go from moving forward from here. We can go somewhere else to have, uh, you know, a path to citizenship. Yeah, because right now uh, on the DACA program, it's, it's not a, a segue into citizenship for you. No, it's it's not. It's just uh, keep us from getting deported, taken away from our families and uh, being able to work, being able to have a social license. Yeah. But uh, and I but, know you uh, thought about a lot of that during that time when it was a question whether or not, um, you know, how they would rule on it. You know, yeah. thinking about that. I'm sure it was frightening for you. Yeah, it was. You know, me me and my wife are actually two DACA recipients. And, uh, you know, we both have jobs and that we do well in. And, you know, we like, we like what we do. And, you know, we thought about what would happen once our DACA uh, expired or what was what would happen to us. Or if we would get deported because the government has all the information or if... We didn't know what was going to happen. And with this, um, the, with this decision, you know, just overall, how is this impacting um, you and your family today and your future? Uh, in fact, it, it impacted me and my family uh, in a real positive way. You know, uh, yeah, I know my parents were worried about it as well. You know, we have me and my wife have two little girls, and uh, we we were unsure of what their future was going to be. We were unsure of what our future was going to be, but uh, it brings a little sigh of relief, and it uh, gives us some positive, some positive stuff to think about nowadays. The court's 5-4 decision doesn't guarantee DACA recipients are permanently safe. The court's ruling means the Trump administration will be able to provide a lower court with more justification for ending the program, something that would take many months. Patricia Ice is with the Mississippi Immigrants' Rights Alliance. For right now, it's a tremendous victory for them because we were thinking that if the, the Supreme Court sided against us, that the government may start deportations right away, but that is halted. Actually, the Supreme Court decision gave the the Trump administration a chance to go back and revise their their challenge to the DACA program. So the Department of Homeland Security has a chance to detail the reasons why they want to end the program um, and then bring it back to the court system. Um, So we're not home free yet, but it gives us some time to uh, let the program continue. I says for now, the decision means about 700,000 immigrants in the U.S. can retain their protections and provide for their families. Coming up, today is Juneteenth. We look at how Mississippi's black community is celebrating. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you're a parent on the go but still want to stay informed about your children's education, subscribe to Mississippi Education Connections podcast and listen on the go anytime, anywhere on your favorite podcast app.
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The Emancipation Proclamation, an act of executive authority by President Abraham Lincoln freeing slaves in the Confederate States, became official on January 1st, 1863. But it would take over two years for word to reach enslaved people west of the Mississippi River. When a Union general reached Galveston, Texas on June 19, 1865, with news the Civil War had ended, slaves were freed, a holiday was born. Brad Franklin, an organizer of Juneteenth on Ferris Street, joins us to share how central Mississippi is celebrating Juneteenth. Kind of put it in a nutshell, Juneteenth is the celebration of uh, the emancipation of slaves. Um, Traditionally, it's celebrated on June 19th, and it kind of commemorates not the actual moment that the Emancipation Proclamation was passed and that slaves were free. It kind of commemorates the moment when the information actually got to the slaves in some of the southern states. Uh, In actuality, uh, that news got to the slaves in Mississippi before it actually got to the slaves in Texas. Uh, This started out as a holiday that was primarily celebrated in Texas. And June 19th is the date that uh, they commemorated on uh, in Mississippi. Actually, uh, it was sometime in the month of May, and I forget the exact date, sometime in the month of May when we got the information. But Texas kind of started this tradition, and June 19th is traditionally the day that we celebrate Juneteenth. How uh, historically is the day celebrated uh, the day is celebrated. It, it just depends. Uh, I don't think that there is really, uh, you know, a handbook in which, you know, <laughs> you got to read from to celebrate. Uh, there's anything from programs uh, to marches to rallies to festivals, uh, you know, people gathering at their home, cooking out. Uh, it's just a day to commemorate and to celebrate that time. So there's not really a one set thing that you should do. It's just that taking the time out and actually identifying and commemorating and celebrating that day, however you choose to do it, is fine. Uh, and uh, we've done it several different ways, including, you know, Juneteenth on Ferris, which is the, the festival that, you know, I am on the committee for, uh, where we put a street festival together and you have people just come out and gather and listen to music. They're vendors. Uh, and uh, there's a program that kind of explains and gives the occasion of Juneteenth so that we can keep the education piece of it together. There's a parade that precedes it. So it's a lot of different things that you can do. You know, we've just chosen to do it kind of this way here in the city of Jackson. Has the celebration taken on a different uh, feeling given the times we're in now? I mean, this is this is a very unique time to be mm-hmm. celebrating one aspect mm-hmm. and perhaps mourning another aspect of that. I, I think what's good is, you know, we're definitely on the Juneteenth on Farish committee. We are excited about the fact that, you know, current events has kind of enlightened uh, a lot of folks who are not aware of Juneteenth or are not aware of the celebration that comes along with it. But, uh, you know, Juneteenth on Farish would have been going into its fifth year this year. And uh, it's not even the oldest 
celebration here in the central Mississippi area. Uh, it's the largest and has been the most popular over the past years. We're happy that current events are starting to turn people onto it. And we want to use this as a moment to kind of educate people and let people know what it's about. We've seen several corporations now that are about to make Juneteenth an official paid holiday. Uh, and we think it's good. So if the, the current climate that exists right now has helped to shine light on Juneteenth, I think it's good. And I think it's great for everyone all across the board. You have a march scheduled for Saturday? Yes. Yeah, so on Saturday, in lieu of the original festival, we just thought in the interest and the protection of folks that it was in the best interest to not do the festival at large. But we do want to commemorate the day. And what we're going to do is we want to gather briefly at 6 p.m., on the uh, first block of Ferris Street, right in front of the federal building. And we're going to march down to Ferris Street Park, which is a couple of blocks uh, down from there. And when we get to the park, there's going to be a really short program uh, to just commemorate the day so that we can make sure that we're still giving the day that it respected it deserves. And then we're going to disperse because we just want to make sure that we did something with us not being able to do the full festival. Brad Franklin is an organizer of Juneteenth on Farish. Thank you so much, Brad. Appreciate it. Thank you, Karen. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio. 